Folks, I, I was delighted when I first started talking a couple of months ago and offering an invitation to consider reading the Bible, reading it book by book. I'm aware of a good number of people who have chosen to try to do that, and I'll assume that there are others who I haven't heard about or, or seen. Lots of people came to the gathering that we hosted in January to discuss Genesis, and I've already, as I've already said in the announcements, there'll be another gathering like that after this evening's service in the multi-purpose room when we'll talk together about Matthew's gospel. Let me say this. Don't worry if you aren't in a position to join in with the Bible reading movement just at this moment. Uh, I hope you'll enjoy these services, whether you're having a chance to read the books uh, of the Bible or not. Uh, it's something that we would do periodically in church life anyway, is to do overviews of different parts of the Bible. So consider these as overviews just to help you understand God's word. If you were able to read Genesis in January, but the wheels fell off in February, and you weren't able to read Matthew's gospel, don't worry. These things happen. If you feel ready, jump back on the bike and see if you can read Deuteronomy in March. That's the beauty of book by book. If you miss a bit, you can still come back in and just read the next book in the next month. And by the way, if this is the first time you've heard me talking about this and you haven't started, but you think you'd like to, don't worry about that either. Don't go back and try to read Genesis and then Matthew. Just start with us in Deuteronomy. Make sure you, you join in as soon as you can and start reading with us. For anyone who's watching at home or catching up in, on some other media, if you hear me talking about any resources that we're offering in the building and you'd like access to them, get in touch with our church office and they'll help you to access those. For all of our own church members here at Hamilton Road, if you're able to use Church Suite, what I've been doing is I've been starting to drop resources into a book-by-book -book folder in the church resources section in Church Suite. So have a look and see if you can access uh, some of those things in there. So this evening, I'd like to do two things. I'd like to, first of all, take a few minutes to give a, a little bit more general encouragement for, for reading the Bible book by book and then I'll take a, a longer period of time to give an overview and a bit of an introduction to the book of Deuteronomy. So first of all, a few resources. Actually, if you pick up the, the brochure, the little gatefold at this point, I'm, I suppose I'm mostly talking my way through that gatefold. So there's a, a little panel in the gatefold there, some help with book by book. Um, helpful resources, yes, it's on the back cover the way I'm looking at it now. Uh, that's where I'm starting this evening. Uh, and I'm encouraging you to make sure that you have a helpful Bible. If you're somebody who's never tried to read the Bible in longer stretches, you, you might want to think about this for a moment. It, it probably takes uh, an appropriate Bible to, to enjoy reading the, the Bible for more than a few minutes at the time. So these are questions you might think about. First of all, am I reading a, a translation that I understand? If you're reading a version of the Bible that, that's hard for you to understand, be aware that there are different versions and some of them will be more 
easily understood than others. Um, I talked about this at length in a, in a service recently, so I don't want to revisit that this evening. The NIV Bible that we use in our pews is a Bible that has a nice balance of biblical accuracy, but also readability. But I should say there are Bibles that are easier to understand and easier to read than that. I was visiting with a member of the church family in hospital this week. She was telling me just how much she loved her Bible. Uh, she thought it was really good to read. And she said, it's over there. And I, as I was on my way over to lift it, I thought, I wonder, is it? And I lifted it, and yes, it was. A New Living Translation. Probably the most readable uh, version of Scripture available to us in the English language today. If you are ready for a new Bible and want to have a look at one, that's something you could try. The New Living is a, a really good Bible reading translation. Another thing, other than just translation, does the presentation in this Bible make me want to read it? Is the font large enough? I'm starting to sound like an older guy now. Uh, I, I, I expect I'll be wearing glasses quite soon. I think something's happened to my eyes during the, the lockdown. So I, I'm grateful that I have a Bible with very large font. Is, is the page layout pleasing? Does it feel nice to read it? I have... I'll show you it sometime if you want me to. I have a very large print Bible, and it's single column, so it reads right across the page, like a, a normal book, less like a Bible. For I, I enjoy that. It gives me a greater sense of flow as I read God's Word. Another question, would you benefit from using a journaling Bible? So many of you have bought a Matthew's Gospel journal and have maybe used those on Sunday mornings as we are preaching um, journals are just brilliant. They're, they're good in so many different ways. You can take notes as the preacher preaches. They tend to be larger fonts, so they're easier to read. You can take it along to your discipleship group with you, and you'll have some notes to share things that you remember from the preaching or that God's shown you. You can write prayers. You know, if God prompts you with part of his word, you can write a, a prayerful response and put it in a box. You can stick them on a shelf and come back to it next year. If we, preach, if we go back to Matthew's gospel, you can remember some of the things that God showed you this year. They're just brilliant. So you, you might enjoy a journaling Bible. So a helpful Bible, I think, is an important thing to consider. Helpful books. There are loads of helpful books um, that, that would help a person to read the Bible. I, I'm drawn to two in particular. So my New Testament professor, Gordon Fee, with a friend of his, Douglas Stewart, wrote a couple of books that are particularly for the purpose of helping us to read Scripture. Uh, they're called, the first one's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, and the second one, How to Read the Bible Book by Book. You might enjoy reading one of those. Check them out and see if, if they would help you. One thing I'll say about books Sometimes people are nervous to read the Bible without reading a commentary along with it. I'm not, I'm not saying don't read a commentary. But I will say this. Make reading the Bible your priority. Don't slow yourself down or lift baggage that's heavier than you can carry. Go ahead and just read some of these books of the Bible. Don't worry if you, there are parts that you don't understand. 
Keep reading and your understanding will grow. So there we go. Helpful websites. Um, I've mentioned there the Bible Project. So last month in Jan January, you might remember, we showed a quick video to introduce us to Matthew's Gospel. It's a video that accompanies then the poster that we gave you for Matthew's Gospel. If you want to go yourself and look, the Bible Project website is just fantastic. I spent a bit of time on there this week and really loved it. Started listening to their podcast too. Helpful questions. Uh, yes, I think it's on another panel. If you flick back one uh, panel in your brochure, I've printed four questions that might help you as you read. Four questions as you read the Bible. What stood out for you in this book? Was there anything troubling and confusing? Did anything make you think differently about God? How might this change how you live? Those last two are really important. I'd really encourage anybody who's reading scripture to, to say to the Holy Spirit, Lord, teach me something new about who you are. Show me something new about how you'd like me to live. If you enter God's word with that prayer, you'll find it a very transformative experience. A helpful gathering, you'll see there on, on the wee brochure that I mention the gathering. Um, I'd really encourage you, particularly if you did get a chance to read a book in any particular month, just, just make a plan to stay back. It, it doesn't take any longer really than just staying for a cup of coffee after church, but stay back. You, you may find some encouragement talking to other people about what they have read, and, and you'll surely be an encouragement to others as you share what God's been teaching you. So there it is, just a, a little bit more encouragement for reading the Bible and for book by book in particular. We're going to pause just there and sing again. I've chosen a very simple song for us. Those of you who are planning to read Deuteronomy and maybe those of you who are glad at this point that you haven't signed up to book by book, how do you feel about the month ahead? Genesis was maybe okay, Matthew's gospel not too bad, but Deuteronomy is, is the bar getting a little bit higher. I, I remember a conversation I had with our Bible class leaders in Kirkpatrick at Belfast. We were doing a thing with Bible class at the time where we were encouraging them to occasionally track with the teaching we were doing in church. So I said, well, I'm gonna be teaching Deuteronomy. I think it would be a good one to invite the teenagers, the 11 to 14 year olds to track with us. They looked at me as if I'd gone mad. How, how on earth are 11 to 14 year olds gonna enjoy Deuteronomy? I remember having a conversation with them a year later, long after the series had ended, when we were making arrangements for how we'd partner together in that particular church year. And they said, Christoph, we were gutted that we didn't do Deuteronomy. The kids would have loved it. So there's a surprise. That's how Deuteronomy can uh, be heard by a community of God's people. I could give you a long list of reasons why it's great to read Deuteronomy, but I'm going to limit myself to only two. First of all, it's the greatest sermon ever preached. Well, nobody got anywhere by understatement ever, did they? 
the greatest sermon ever preached. And second, it's a part of the Bible that Jesus loved. Deuteronomy is the ultimate biblical sermon. It's really one sermon. That's how it reads, this, this long book. It's 40 years since the Exodus, since God's used Moses, the prince of Egypt, to bring the people out of slavery in that land. Uh, and he's bringing them to the land that he's promised their fathers. The, the journey, you maybe know this, it needn't have lasted for 40 years. But if you know the story, you'll know that they made catastrophic choices along the way and that an entire generation had died in the wilderness without ever reaching the promised land. So now they're back on the border of the promised land. They're ready to enter it. They can see it. They can smell it. This land that God's promised to them and an old man rises to speak to them. One last time. And what does he do? He gives one of the greatest speeches in the history of humanity. Moses has been leading the people at this stage for 50 years. Uh, under him, this rabble has become a nation. They've received God's law. They've discovered that God wanted them to be his nation, his own treasured possession. So everyone sitting on this plain of Moab, as we're told that it's called, it has lived for 50 years under Moses' leadership. He's dominated their whole lives. He's truly a spiritual father to all these people. They're full of anticipation as they're about to enter the land of promise. He's fully aware of the importance of the occasion. And they know even more, they know that he's not coming with them. He's about to die. So this is the last sermon that Moses will preach to these people. Can you imagine the emotional punch that an occasion like that would pack? Moses says this towards the end of Deuteronomy. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. He's saying to them, I want you to live. That's all I've ever wanted for you. I want for you to have as much life as you possibly can have in this short time that God gives you on this earth. So, Deuteronomy is the mother of all biblical sermons. If that wasn't good enough reason to, to read it, let me offer you a second reason. This is a part of the Bible that Jesus loved. We're disciples of Jesus here at Hamilton Road, where his apprentices were learning from Jesus how to live. And that means that the things that excite Jesus ought to excite us. If we learned that Jesus loved a particular part of God's word, that it had nurtured his faith, that it had been vitally important in his spiritual development, and if he was quoting from it regularly, wouldn't we want to read it? Well, Deuteronomy is that book. You could easily make a case for saying that Deuteronomy is Jesus' favorite book. It's the book that he certainly quotes from more than any other book in the Old Testament. So last month we read Matthew's Gospel. If you have your Bible handy there, you keep your finger in Deuteronomy, but you could flick to, to chapter 4 of Matthew's Gospel. We read about Jesus in the wilderness. Do you remember his temptations? 
We read it possibly last month. We certainly studied it together last year. If you're the son of God, tell this stone to come to become bread, Satan says to him. First temptation. Jesus answers, it is written, man does not live by bread alone. He's quoting from some other part of the Bible. So where was that written? Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Satan comes back with a second temptation, takes Jesus to the highest point in the temple, invites him to throw himself down to test his father's willingness and ability to protect him and bear him up. Jesus answers, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Guess where that's coming from? That's right. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. Finally, Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. He says, if you worship me, it'll all be yours. And Jesus answers, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So where's that written? Also, Deuteronomy 6, this time verse 13. If we want to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ, if we want to know more of what he knew, if we want to love more of what he loved so that God's spirit can take God's word and use it to make us more like God's beautiful son, then we may well want to read Deuteronomy. Greatest sermon ever preached, the book that Jesus loved. Just two reasons for why we might want to read this book. What are we going to discover as we read this book? I think we, we're going to learn that it's about two things. It's about love and obedience. I, I wouldn't have given that answer a month ago, but I, I would give that answer now. The reason being, I was invited a couple of weeks ago to teach on the C.S. Lewis uh, Fellows Program to teach a lecture on the subject, Living a Life of Love and Obedience. As I started to look into that, try to work out, well, how do I talk about that? How do I even begin? I found myself very quickly going to Deuteronomy. Let me show you. On the one hand, there's a lot here about obedience. If you pull out your, your poster, you'll see in the center of the poster, just below where it has the title, the word Deuteronomy, it also explains that there's a lot of stuff about law here. So the middle panel in the book is about a collection of laws, but we're also told what the word Deuteronomy means. It comes from the Greek. Deutero meaning second, nomos meaning the law, a second rendering or a second giving of the law. So this book is gonna be about the law and it's gonna be about obedience. Now, that, you might find that quite discouraging. You might think, do I really want to read 34 chapters of a book that's a lot of it's about the law? Well, well, hear me out, because it's about the law, but it's about love. It's a wonderful surprise to see how love comes so fully onto the center stage in Deuteronomy. Let me show you. So we go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, the passage we've just read. These are some of the most central verses in all of Scripture. If you went to an Orthodox synagogue, even today, you'd still find Jewish people reciting what they call the Shema. That Jewish word, by the way, Shema, 
is the Hebrew for the first word of this command. Hear, O Israel. Shema is the word hear. It's a common command in Deuteronomy, common command right through the Old Testament. It has a bit of a feel of a, a parent trying to get a kid's attention. Listen up. Hear. I'm about to share something important, something for your good. Shema. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. In a book where Moses is going to be talking about the law, he talks about love, seamlessly about love. The, the Shema is certainly the best known of these commands in Deuteronomy, to love the Lord your God, but it's not isolated. I, I thought I'd quickly show you a, a few other incidents. Flick with me to chapter 10, verse 12. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul? Chapter 11, verse 1. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements Verse 13, so if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 22, if you carefully observe all these commands I'm giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to hold fast to him. Folks, there are plenty more invitations to love God in Deuteronomy but let me take you to the best of them all. Chapter 30, verse 19. There Moses says, now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. Folks, how could you not want to read Deuteronomy with lines like this in it? Look at that. Love God. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him. For he is your life. This is what God wants. People who are lovers. He always did and he always will. Folks, we said earlier that Jesus loved Deuteronomy. Flick with me now to Matthew 22, verse 34. It's a passage I read just this week in book by book. Feels like a sales pitch for the program, doesn't it? Matthew 22, verse 34. We're in a section of Matthew's gospel where repeatedly different factions of Israel's religious leadership were coming to him to question him, to see if they could trip him up, see if they could discredit him. Matthew 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. 
One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? It's a huge question. Jesus, of all that God teaches us, where's the focus? What's it really all about? Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He takes us to Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema. For Jesus, everything hangs on that command to love the Lord our God. I want, I want to pause with you for a moment to think about the role of love in Christian discipleship. My sense is that I haven't fully grasped this. And let me ask you a question. What do you love? Take a moment to think about that. What's most dear to you? What's your precious? If you'll forgive the Lord of the Rings reference. This is just about the most important question I could ask you if I want to disciple you well. If I'm serious about helping you become a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, I need to talk to you about what you love. Just about the most important question I could ask. Wait a minute, you might say. Christoph, a Christian is someone who believes. The most important question you should be asking is, what, what am I believing? Not, not what do I love? Well, let's test that for a moment in the laboratory of real life. Do you ever find yourself trying to do things but then find yourself unable? That New Year's resolution from January? That diet you started last week? That promise or commitment that you've made to yourself or, or some other person? Those, those commitments we made, those aspirations that we had, we thought about them, we believed they'd do us good, we decided to do them, but then we didn't. You see, we fail to do what we think we should do. We fail to act on what we say we believe. Folks, the truth is human beings don't do what they feel they ought to do. Instead, we do what deep down we love. This isn't a new idea. St. Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo, as far back as the fourth century BC, told us that we are shaped most by what we love most, more than by what we think or what we do. Folks, if this is true, then it really matters in a place like this where we want to be discipled. If we want to talk about becoming faithful followers of Jesus Christ, and if we try to do that simply because we're reading about it in the Bible and, and think that it's what God wants us to do, we're going to struggle. Even if we've come to believe the gospel and to believe that Jesus died for us and that we have some sense that we should follow him, I think we're still going to be creating pretty half-hearted disciples. 
You see, what God wants is lovers. It's what he's always wanted. A community of people who, when we ask the question I asked you a moment ago, what do you love? Without a moment's hesitation, they say, I love Jesus Christ. What do you want from your life? I want whatever he wants for me. Above all, I want to become like him. I want to be a mini Jesus wherever I go. One modern author, James K. Smith, he, he put it like this in a title of a recent book. He called it, We Are What We Love. He's picked up a truth that we become what we set our hearts on. Whatever we worship, we'll one day become. Folks, there's so much more that I'd love to show you here in Deuteronomy, but I'd better start to wrap things up. The poster is a great outline. Uh, do have a look at it if you're trying to read. In the closing chapters of Deuteronomy, Moses goes to great lengths to show us what's at stake. It, it's not a case of doing nothing and experiencing a halfway decent life or being a little bit keener and choosing life and getting a, a little bit more life on the other hand. It, it's not a, a, a matter of small margins. No, Moses paints the contrast much, much starker than that. He talks about blessings and curses, a life that's blessed and a life that's cursed. Moses chooses to do this in a very memorable way. Flick with me to chapter 27 of Deuteronomy, sorry, not, not Matthew. He does, he does this with a bit of audience participation. After he's preached his sermon to the people, he tells them about a dramatic event he wants them to stage once they get into the land. Look at what he says, chapter 27, verse 12. When you've crossed the Jordan, these tribes shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, and these tribes shall stand on Mount Ebal to pronounce curses. Now, if we ever preach Deuteronomy, I'll probably do this with you. So this is a bit of warning, okay? I'll split the congregation in two, and I'll get half of you to be Mount Gerizim over here, and you'll get to shout some blessings. And then I'll get half of you to be Mount Ebal over here, and you'll get to pronounce curses. And we'll hear will form these blessings and these curses in our mouths and we'll hear them and we'll shout amen to them and we'll be reminded what a brilliant thing it is to be people who obey God and walk in his ways. And we'll be reminded what a, what a poor thing it is and what a sad life it is to not walk in God's ways and to miss out. So what Moses is doing in these chapters, he's spelling out one last time the importance of choosing life. He says this isn't really about just living a slightly happier kind of a life over and above a slightly less happy life. It's not even about living a really, really blessed life or a miserable kind of life. He says there's even more at stake. This is to choose life. It's a matter of life and death. Folks, I don't know if you believe that, that to walk closely with Jesus or not to do so is a matter of life and death. 
C.S. Lewis put it like this in Mere Christianity. Once a man is separated from God, what can he do but wither and die? Once a man is united to God, how could he not live forever? To choose life is a matter of life and death. Folks, I know I'm supposed to be giving you an overview of Deuteronomy, but I found myself wanting to to preach it and to invite you. Tell me this. Have you chosen life? Have you made Jesus Christ the love of your life? Or are you still mucking around with him? Are you still dabbling with him? Are you still trying to fit him into your life, your agenda? So long as that's the case, you haven't chosen life and you won't find life. John Calvin puts it in these terms. For until men feel that they owe everything to God, that they're cherished by his paternal care, and that he's the author of all their blessings, so that naught is to be looked for away from him, they'll never submit to him in voluntary obedience. Nay, unless they place their entire happiness in him, they'll never yield up their whole selves to him in truth and sincerity. Have you placed your happiness in him? Do you love, not believe, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength? That's what it is to choose life and to find it. And that's the invitation of Deuteronomy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your plans for us are so good, that you long to bless us, that you offer us a blessed life. Lord, it's a consistent message right through your story, the Bible. From the the time when you created this world and made it so beautiful and good, through these passages we're reading in Deuteronomy, where you want to bless us, through Jesus in the Beatitudes, where he tells us that we can be blessed and find our place in the kingdom of God, to those descriptions of the new heaven and the new earth, where all things will be made new and every tear wiped from every eye. Lord, you want us to live lives of great joy and blessing, lives of great fullness and riches, Lives that even in the hardship, the turmoil, and the confusion of this world are rich with your presence and possibilities. Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that you'd help us for once and for all decisively to turn aside from Satan's lie 
that life with you is smaller and less and to see that life with you is the fullest life. Help us to take Jesus at his word that he's come to give us life in all its fullness. Help us, Lord, each one, to come to Jesus and to choose life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.